0: Hi, I'm Father Roderick and welcome to a new episode of The Walk. And I am walking THE walk, the walk of a lifetime. The walk to Santiago, the Camino. And uh, if I look to my right, I can see the rolling hills full of wheat. It's still green, it's early in the season. And on my left is a a small hill. I'm walking on a, a yellowish sand path and the skies are blue, the sun is in the sky behind me, always in the back because I'm walking eastwards, and I just left the marvelous city of Burgos, which is one of the most stunning cities I've seen in Spain so far. I visited Pamplona, that was a beautiful city as well. I'm still going to Leon, which also appears to be a wonderful city, but Burgos was Really my favorite city so far. It was a beautiful day yesterday. Um, uh, Just glorious colors. There's something about the springtime sun that gives a city like that so much vibrancy. It was amazing. I'm recording this uh, about three hours after I left. I woke up at uh, 5.30 in Burgos in uh, the big municipal alberg which uh, has place for 150 pilgrims, and it was completely full last night, and uh, sleeping in bunk beds, as I do almost every night. And so I woke up early. We had to wait until the doors opened. That's not always the case. Sometimes if you are in a smaller private alberg, you can leave whenever you want, even if it's at four o'clock in the morning. And believe me, there are pilgrims that actually do that. But in this case, we had to wait, And at six o'clock when the doors opened, it was still dark outside. The massive cathedral that is in the center of Burgos was lit by some spotlights. And it was just magical, really special. The entire city is still quiet. That's one of the amazing things when you leave early in the morning. You get to experience uh, how the world wakes up, literally. It's uh, the, the nature wakes up long before Mankind. (laughs) The first thing you hear as soon as you're out of the city are the birds. And uh, you may hear birds uh, every once in a while in the background of this recording. Uh, It's one of the things that strike me very much since I've been walking the Camino. It's it's just a variety of birds. There are these tiny little yellow ones that uh, chase each other over the fields of wheat. Um, Beautiful, vibrant colors. You get these tiny little songbirds. Um, It's basically one big concert that starts before the sun rises. And uh, then bit by bit you start to hear if you're in the neighborhood of a town or village the sounds of cars or uh, farmers working in the fields. And so you hear the human sounds. And uh, that is just one of these... Really moving moments of the of the Camino. It is uh, being up before everyone else, and then see how gradually you know the sun rises this morning. I, I walked past the big prison of Burgos. At least I assume it it looks like it looked like a prison. It had these big towers and fences, and it was kind of one of those old-fashioned, uh, really well-designed prisons. I mean, it looked like a castle almost. Very beautiful place, but I uh, behind the 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 prison, you saw the sun rising, and uh there must be some water in the air because the sky was first red and then bright orange, like Dutch orange, and then it got yellow and I was thinking all those poor people in prison that made mistakes, you know they may see the sun rise from their windows, but they can't go out and walk like I do, and uh, it's, it, yeah, it's just one of those moments that you realize how, how fortunate you are to be free wherever you go, to be free of so many things. Which brings me a bit to uh, perhaps a, a, a summary of what has happened since I started this journey. If you've been following me on Facebook, on Twitter, or on YouTube, or all of them, you have seen glimpses or more than glimpses of my, of my journey. But there's only so much that you can tell in, an, in a Facebook update or in a two, three minute video. So I figured I've got my iPhone with me. I've got a, uh, a lavalier f- microphone. Let's just go a little bit more in depth about how I've experienced the Camino so far. Just for your I- information, There are three pilgrims walking ahead of me and a bunch of them behind me. I was one of the first to leave Burgos, so I may have to sometimes, you know, stop talking or, well, nah, I'm not gonna stop talking, but I need to uh, be be aware that there are more people here on this Camino that may not be interested in my bantering. By the way, now on my left, I can see uh, over the hill and same beautiful green wheat fields and uh the you have a lot of different colors of green which is very different from the netherlands where everything is is uh well flat of course and then it's all meadows with cows and it's the same type of grass in a certain way it's very Uh, industrialized, and it says that everything is the same, everything is super efficient. Here you have fields of wheat, then you have fields of, that behind there, that darker green, that's almost bluish. I think those are peas, small peas, let me get closer, here on the left is definitely regular wheat, and then, what are those crops, let me get closer. No, no, ah, I think I think those are carrots. I'm not sure, but it doesn't, that's something I've not seen so far. Although it looks perhaps a bit too close to each other. I don't know. What do I know? But you see lots of different types of crops. And since we're surrounded by hills, you know, not everything is square and some fields will be bigger than others. And you have these wonderful yellow fields of flowers as well. And uh, when you, get an overview, like currently I'm climbing up a hill as you can tell because I'm getting a little bit out of breath. Um, sometimes you, you see this entire valley in front of you you've got all these patches of green and it's very reminiscent of, of like the Shire in, in the Hobbit movies or the Lord of the Rings movies and uh, it's just a beautiful sight. But I didn't start here in Spain. As you may know I started my journey in Lourdes, and there was a very specific reason I wanted to start in France, and that is that um, that is the place where my vocation once started. I've told this story to several pilgrims who've asked me along the way uh, about my vocation story, and I explained that when I was 17 years old in school, I started to realize that you know, faith was a part of my life but it was relegated to the Sundays. I was a, an altar boy and I really was never bothered by going to church, but it wasn't something personal. And in high school, we had a lot of discussions about faith and the majority uh, of, the, of my classmates were, well, they had kind of fallen off the bandwagon. They were no longer going to church. And uh, what you often see is that in discussions People want to rationalize why they don't practice their faith anymore. And so it becomes this kind of emotionally laden discussion where the, the, the main argument or the, the the main current seems to say, well, faith, that, that's for dummies, you know. <laughs> Literally, it's for people who don't think. Um, the church is, you know, there, there may be something, you know, a divine entity or whatever, but... The church, that's definitely completely out of date and, uh, you know, why why bother? And (laughs) that actually bothered me, that question. So I started to read about my faith, I started to pray, and that's when I started to feel this sense that God was, you know, was, was pulling me towards him. But I couldn't figure out what it was that he wanted me to do. And so I went on a pilgrimage with young people and there was a youth gathering, in Lourdes itself, and I asked Mary at the grotto, what do I need to do? Can you ask your son what he wants uh, and where he wants to guide my life? And it's uh, that evening at the grotto that it kind of became a a totally evident, 100% clear answer. I needed to become a priest, which was something that had never crossed my mind before. And most people afterwards, when I told them about that insight, told me I was crazy. And that I was definitely not the type of guy that, you know, should become a priest. (laughs) You needed to fit a certain, I don't know, stereotype apparently. And I didn't fit that stereotype as a geek and a Star Wars fan and someone who was always into kind of the creative arts and uh, it's definitely not something that people saw me doing. But that for me was the proof that, or proof, it was an indication that this was a vocation. This was not an idea of mine. This was something that I was called to do. And what you often see in vocation stories is that the person who was called doesn't he's able to or she's able to do whatever God asks him or her to do. And that was my case. And I think gradually God has given me certain gifts or talents or has taught me how to become the person he wanted me to be. And the Camino in a certain way is part of that process. It is um, a deliberate process, I think, uh, that I undergo. I chose to do this because I want to give God the opportunity for a longer time to speak to me. Just like at that grotto, to let me know where He wants me to go. More importantly, that I give Him time to shape me into the person that He needs me to be. And of course, He's done that in the past, and I've already grown so much. And and it's really a a journey of, of grace. Um, And also, of course, of mistakes and sins and forgiveness. But nevertheless, I believe that there is still so much more margin to grow. And I want to, I just want to God, I want God to give, well, (laughs) to show me the way, literally. And, uh, And that's why I wanted to start in Lourdes. It's kind of going back to the place where it all began. And walking from Mary, who has helped me so much along the way, to St. James, one of the great apostles, uh, an example for all of us, a follower of Jesus, who then, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, went into the world to tell other people about that, to do what Jesus had told him to do, and that is to go to the ends of the earth. The ends of the world and uh, that's what all the apostles did and it's kind of it's very it's highly symbolic for me to go from the to walk from the one of the places where the mother of God Mary is venerated she who has said yes to God from the moment she was born um, who has always been next to her son to James, was kind of you know, one of my examples. It's, a, it's, it's who I want to be. I want to be an apostle. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And I, I, me too. I want to go to the ends of the world to share that faith, to share that friendship that I've discovered myself and that is so enriching to my life. So I went to Lourdes. And uh, it was also, for me... Uh, like a, a very, very apt kickoff of the journey. I had spent several weeks preparing physically, materially. I've, I had, you know, done a lot of training walks, trying to get fit, it was pretty hard to do because I had a tremendous amount of work as well, and not to mention that it was all leading up to Easter. And so I didn't, I don't think I trained as much as I wanted to, especially not when it comes to, you know, climbing mountains and stuff. (laughs) But I was also preparing um, to leave behind everything that could bother me along the way. Uh, That in itself was already a spiritual process. Is You know, before you put something in your backpack, think really hard. Is this going to be of value during my uh, Camino? If not, it's just weight that you're gonna carry, that's gonna slow you down, that's gonna make you more tired. And so everything that was in my backpack at the time was the result of a deliberate choice. And I think initially I had twice the amount of things that I wanted to take with me. And so it was already saying goodbye to so much stuff that really wasn't that important in the end. And the funny thing is, even though I left with not even 8 kilograms in my backpack, which was absolutely my, my uh, upper limit, I have still stuff in my backpack right now that I don't need or that I don't need anymore. Let me give you an example I've got a second camera I'm using my phone to film my vlogs, but that is because my real camera, the Sony, what is it, the WX500 or something like that, uh, stopped working or started to behave erroneously and created all sorts of reading and writing errors to the SD card. And not only had I taken that small Sony camera with me to film, but also one of those small Mobi, Tripods doesn't weigh much, but still, the you know, in total, it's like 400 grams, and now I'm carrying that for, for weeks already, and I'm not using it. Um, there's another thing in my backpack that I know is not useful. That is foot powder. <laughs> I have an entire bottle of foot powder and it weighs 200 grams. You may say, well, what is 200 grams? But I don't use it, because my feet are fine without foot powder. <laughs> So it's another thing that I probably have to give away or, you know, and uh, I've got a pair of trousers that I bought in the Netherlands and it, it, it's got a huge tear in it. I'm still holding on to it because it was a brand new pair of trousers and I want to bring it back to the store and get my money back basically. (laughs) But it's also silly. It's also, well, why am I carrying this? You know, what does it really matter? This this Camino is so cost efficient. I spent you know barely 15 euros per day. Sometimes it's five bucks for a night. It's another 10 to eat. You know, a few euros here and there for a cup of coffee and a, a piece of bread, and that's it. So <laughs> why am I so it must be the Dutch, the Dutch spirit in me. That it, it wants, you know, value for money or something. anyway, that was a a process of letting go. And uh, there was also a, a spiritual equivalent to that that I experienced in Lourdes. I wanted to go to confession there and to rid myself, to leave behind everything that I did wrong in my past. Now, of course, you can't. You know, (laughs) I'd bother a poor priest there with an entire list of things that you did wrong of your entire priestly life. But I still wanted to have that moment of confession to let go of things that were weighing me down spiritually, that were on my conscience, and and experience forgiveness. And thereby, and that's the core of, of confession freedom, liberation of sins you know, it's what Jesus says if, if you if you have a load to carry that's too heavy, give it to me and I will carry it you know, and that's exactly what that moment did, it was very powerful, much more powerful than I expected Buon Camino off. we have a bike pilgrim one of the many and it's so brave, because we're walking up a uh, a hill, it's not very steep, but still, these guys are carrying all their luggage and they're driving these mountain bikes or these high, I'm not sure, track tracking bikes, I don't know what you call them, with the thick th- tires and everything. He's wearing a helmet. It uh, must be very strenuous. Anyway, and then, by the way, the, the what you just heard, the Buen Camino, that's what everyone wishes each other along the way. When you pass someone and you see the the shell the shell of St. James on the on the backpack is a buen camino you know have a good journey I hear the sound of tires behind me which means there's a second pilgrim on a bike going to pass me by Buen Camino Hello. you never really know what country your people are from but buen camino always works everybody knows that so um the 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 priest that I met in Lourdes was was amazing and he he touched my heart in a way or well it's God of course who do, does that through the ministry of the priest but I cried i I was very emotional and uh, it was a, a very strong I, you know what it it reconnected me with how I felt when I was there when I was 17 years old and I experienced that same very powerful presence of God, and in in all His mercy and all His, you know, warmth and love and unbelievable. It, it was a really a great present that you kind of you don't expect. I I didn't expect it to be this powerful, um, but it was. It did what I hoped it would do, and that is to to. Lighten my load spiritually mentally to give me that you know real freedom that I needed to go on this journey to really leave everything behind and so for for the days afterwards i just I've just been in this state of you know of um of gratefulness of of I was so thankful about that beginning of the journey and i met uh of my first companion on the On the road, there's an American guy, uh, Derek, 25 years old, um, very friendly guy. I met him in one of the albergs, and uh, he had just decided to go walk the Camino. He had talked uh, with a girl from Slovakia, the- Buen Camino. Buen Camino. camino. Two more bikers. Um, He was uh, traveling through Europe. And definitely already, um, uh, you know, searching for spirituality. And uh, he's, he's uh, from from a Catholic family in, in the U.S., yeah, from uh, Orange County. And so he ended up celebrating Easter in Lourdes, and that's where he met this girl from Slovakia. She had just returned from the Camino, and was injured and stayed at the same alberg. And the way she was telling about her experiences made him decide to go walk the Camino with without much preparation. I mean, he had walked a lot, but didn't have, really have the shoes, didn't have the, the equipment. And so we, we walked for a couple of days together. Um, there were some other uh, people that we met and befriended very soon. You know, every, every time you stop, you meet the same people, Buen Camino. And uh, uh, we had, it, was, it was so funny, because he initially thought that I was also kind of in my 20s. Which must be the, the 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 stupid hat that I'm wearing, <laughs> but but we were definitely uh, um, in the in the same interest realm. So we, we talked so much about Tolkien and about literature and about uh, yeah, so so many things. Um, and, uh, the, again, it was just it's just one of these coincidences that you meet someone who is very, very knowledgeable about the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and, you know, you can kind of play off each other in terms of quotations when you see something, you know, he would quote Frodo, I would quote Sam or vice versa, <laughs> you know. Oh Sam, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Sure you will, Master Frodo. <laughs> And that's how we kind of encourage each other to go, uh, to, to stretch our limits. Because I think neither of us was prepared for the, the first part in France. Which we planned to do in, or I think the original guide that we, ha- that we had said you had to do it in eight days. To go to St. Jean-Pied-de-Port, which is kind of the, uh, the place where a lot of pilgrims start the official Camino. And uh, you walk um, kind of from east to west, following the ridge of mountains that separates France from Spain. It's, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous itinerary. goes through Basque country after a while, so uh, Lourdes is, is kind of at the end of the High Pyrenees, and then uh, gradually the mountains get further away, but you, you constantly see them on your left. Um, Some are snow covered, a beautiful sight, and everything was perfect. If you've seen the pictures and videos of those first few days, definitely the most gorgeous part of the journey so far, um, but also the most strenuous one. Um, and this is a stupid thing. <laughs> you've heard so many. Uh, Tips Uh, you had so many advice from other people pilgrims both that you meet along the way and people that are following me on Facebook Stories that I've heard from people who have walked the Camino before me and they all say don't go too fast It's not a race. Take it easy Start slow and then gradually you will start to get stronger and then you can walk longer. Well, what, what did we do? after about two or three days we decide to skip um one of the uh, albergs and to to do two itineraries in one day, so that's that was more than forty kilometers now already right now after weeks of walking the Camino, forty would still be daunting today I'm walking uh thirty for instance, and that's already something you know I have to think twice How am I going to do that thirty um let alone 40, untrained, and over mountains. I mean, we climbed hills. It was just like 25 degrees up. It was so steep uh, and also down that you sometimes had to uh, literally walk backwards just because your knees couldn't handle it otherwise. Um, So I forced myself. Uh, Derek forced himself way too much. And uh, when we finally arrived, uh, at the Alberg, the uh, it was it was funny. It was the day of the first elections in France. I still remember, and so by accident or by providence, the the mayor's office was still open, and that's the only place where you could get the key to the Alberg. So had it not been election day, we would have not had a place to stay. <laughs> So, and we got the the key from the mayor himself. That was so funny. So we walked into the mayor's office. This was in a small town, a small, wasn't really a city, but more than a village. And so there's this prestigious, nice French building. And there are voting booths. And you see all the papers in place and there's a little desk, but there's no one there. And I'm like, okay, what are we gonna do? You know, we could hear sounds coming from upstairs. There was a big marble staircase leading up to the second floor. And uh, so we figured these guys must be wa- watching the first results or the exit polls or something like that. And so I'm, you know, Derek is, <laughs> he is like calling, hey, hey, guys, dudes. <laughs> I didn't say dudes, but something like, uh, we need some help here. And then, we hear something, and then a guy in a really nice suit, like really dressed for uh, um, like a, a big reception or something like that, has a wine wine fl- uh, glass in his hand uh, <laughs> and walks down the stairs. And he's like, oh, "Can I help you?" <laughs> and so it turns out it's the mayor himself, and he's like, "Oh, oh, oh!" He's like totally surprised that we're pilgrims because apparently that day there hadn't been any pilgrims. And he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, wait." He goes upstairs again, and you hear him talking, for, talking in French. And then he comes down and gives us the, uh, the, uh, the access to the, to the Albert. But anyway, so we arrived there, and um, and Derek's feet are completely covered in blisters. I mean, he was he he had told me that he had blisters, And of course you know untrained and not the perhaps not the right kind of shoes. Um... But he showed me the blisters and they were huge. And I couldn't believe it because, you know, how can you even walk on blisters like that? But he did. So he's like, you know, I want to I stay here for another day. I like this town. I'm just going to sit at the riverside and read a book or something like that. Feel free to, to go on. And that was a, it was a tough moment. It was the first time that I experienced what a lot of other pilgrims have experienced along the way. Um, is that the friendships that you form, because you go through such, or, such an ordeal physically, and uh, you walk for hours, and like a regular day would we easily walk five or six hours, and the previous day we'd walked, I think, ten hours in total. Um, there's a very quick, strong bond, and you kind of don't want to leave the other person behind. And so that was, that was tough, because we had a really good rapport and lots of stuff to, to discuss. But I wanted to move on. I, I felt that I I couldn't stop at this stage of the, of the Camino. Um, I still have so many weeks before me, I thought. And, you know, I could get injured as well. So I need to, as long as I can, I need to walk. So that in case there is an emergency, and I need to slow down. I have margin myself. So we said goodbye, and I went on. And, uh, and uh, I think it was the next day already that I met my second travel companion, Jean-Paul, a retired um, pulmonologist, pulmonologist, I think. I had to look that one up. So he's a lung specialist. He's worked in a hospital. Uh, he lives in Lourdes, um, and uh, his wife died last year from cancer. And that year, he decided to go walk the Camino. And I'd met him once before. Um, only briefly talked and didn't really uh, get into much of a conversation, but we, I did recognize him. And so, you know, we decided tomorrow we'll, we'll, we'll just walk together. We were the only ones in the in the old lady's house there. <laughs> One of those French towns where there was no alberg. You just had to, you know, we knew that there was this old lady who had a. Uh, a few spare bedrooms and so we, that's what we did we, uh, we walked, he told me the story of uh, how his wife died and he, he decided to go walk the Camino very religious, very Catholic uh, uh, man um, so at peace with the death of his wife it wasn't like, oh I need to do this big catharsis thing but he wanted to walk the Camino and so he started last year And after three or four days, he gets tendonitis, And it's so bad that he's crawling on the floor. He can't continue. He has to go back home. And and he decides, well, next year I'm going to walk from where I stopped. And that's where I met him. And so we immediately, again, have a a great rapport. Of course, I have the advantage that I speak French quite fluently because of my studies in the French part of Belgium. And so, you know... We chat, and we talk, and we share our faith, and, you know, at one point, he's like, uh, would you mind praying the rosary with me? And like, sure, go ahead. So we prayed the rosary, and we did that in the afternoon, and then I would uh, pray the lauds and evening prayer from the, from the app on my phone, and we would share that in French. And uh, he was a, a, he had been in, in scouting, in the scouting movement, for many years he would even been a, like a regional leader. So it was always fascinating if he w- he would walk usually a little bit ahead of me and then he all of a sudden he would stop and he would point and he was like mon uh, père mon père you, he was very uh, um how would you call that? Uh, not formal but uh, uh respectful towards me so he always used the vous instead of the tu in in uh in French. So it's kind of a reverent form of of talking to me. So, Father, uh, look at this, this this flower. But you just smell this flower, and then he would, it, it would. I was like, wow, that smells like shampoo. And he's like, exactly. That's that's the fragrance that they use in shampoo. But it is originally this flower, and uh, or he would uh, uh, point me to herbs and uh, certain birds. It was amazing. Uh, really, someone who who was used to walking in, in nature and knew a lot about it. I was very fortunate there. Um, we then approached, we finally arrived in Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, which is um, the last French stop. And between Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port and Spain is a mountain pass. And it's a, it's a daunting one. It goes all the way up to 1400 meters. So it's nothing compared to the hill that I just climbed, and you probably didn't even really notice that I was climbing, because I'm so used to it now that uh, it's it's not much of an effort anymore. Uh, and now I'm overlooking this valley in front of me, which looks a little less green. Uh, buen Camino. <laughs> And she says, uh-oh, because she's going down a, a very rocky hill. So this is a good test of the brakes. Buen, Buen Camino. That's another female a biker. She has a, a whole bouquet of, of roses on, on the back of her bike. That's a very colorful way to, to, uh, to go on a pilgrimage. Wow, they, they're very courageous because this goes down very, very steeply. Um... In the distance, I, get, I can tell that they've been uh, mining these hills or maybe, uh, I don't know, certain types of material there that are worth mining. Okay, they stepped off their bikes. That's probably the best thing to do. Because this, even for walking, this is already pretty steep. Hello. Hello. Buenos dias. Buenos dias. So this is where a, a, a stick it comes in really handy, which is what I bought. At the advice of um, of Jean Paul, uh, Jean Paul, he said, "You know, you got to get yourself a stick. We, we're going to go through the mountains. You need to be able to uh, find some support. Otherwise, it's going to be very hard on your knees." So, finally, got one stick. You see a lot of pilgrims with two sticks, which is probably even better. Also, a little bit more cumbersome. And uh, oh, I gotta I gotta be careful as well because it's this is pretty rocky. And uh, so. The mountain pass, not only is it, rena- is it uh, daunting because of the the altitude, but also because we were getting very bad weather in the village itself, which is a charming little village, and it's uh, very... Uh, oh, no, you go. Looks very cool, but the, uh, uh, the thing is, all of a sudden, you're surrounded by hundreds of pilgrims. Oops, <laughs> careful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm recording. <laughs> <laughs> recording a podcast. <laughs> I do a podcast. Yes, so my followers know what I'm doing. Okay. So I just t- told them how brave you are to go on a bike. With my, with my, brakes on all the way. Yeah, and I was wondering about the flowers. Oh. Why you have them? Well, my husband. Yes. In Australia. Yeah? Is missing me.
1: Oh! And
0: he sent me roses. No and, way! And I thought, I can't leave them in the hotel, so I'm carrying them all the way to Santiago. That is amazing. And as I go. Yeah. They're starting to, to dry. Yes, <laughs> and, the and the petals. And the petals are I'm following you. That's wonderful. Have a safe journey. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Uh, you hear stories like that all the time. It's like every pilgrim has such amazing stories to tell. Um, so, in the, in the the office, the pilgrim's office, the guy who uh, is supposed to tell us about the upcoming uh, journey over the mountain, tells us, you yeah, know, well, tomorrow we're going to have uh, 30 centimeters of snow, very dangerous, perhaps they're going to close the pass." And Apparently, there's a a road that goes around the mountain and it follows the highway, which of course is like the most unromantic thing to do and it's really boring. I wanted to go up that mountain, so wake up really early and then we leave and it has snowed, or actually it's raining in the valley where we are but we know that if you go uh, above 700 meters, 800 meters, it will be snow. And if you've seen that video Man, that looks like I'm in a totally different country all of a sudden. It was quite stunning. So we went over that mountain, got to Renseveille, which is a big uh, abbey run by the Dutch. (laughs) This used to be an abbey with hundreds of monks, literally hundreds, is built for that. But now, there are only four old monks remaining. And so they asked for help because it's one of the uh, first stops for many pilgrims. And of course, since there are so few monks, they couldn't handle the amount of of pilgrims that wanted to stay at the abbey. And so uh, the Dutch organization or the Dutch community of of Camino pilgrims has uh, offered to send volunteers, which is what they do every two weeks. They send a new team of eight volunteers, and they run uh, the... um, uh, the alberg, or the, it's basically in the monastery itself, they can house more than 300 pilgrims. I think the maximum is like 350. Um, and so when we arrived, uh, it was already filling up quickly. But right now, the Camino is getting so popular that it is... It's, it's, there, is there is a real danger of, of congestion, of a crisis on the Camino. Uh, I just had news uh, the other day that um, the uh, they are receiving more than 350 people each day that are leaving on the Camino. And every stage of the Camino, which you know can be anything be- between 20 and 40 kilometers, if you add up all the Alberts that are currently in the villages and in the towns, you don't get to 350 places to stay. It, it, there's just not enough space, so I don't know what, how, how they are going to solve this. This is going to mean that hundreds of pilgrims every day will not have a place to stay. And it's still pretty cold outside, especially in that first part of Spain, so you can't sleep outside. It's, you know, it's below freezing temperature at night. Anyway, that's, that's all behind me. I'm, in a way I'm kind of ahead of that tsunami of pilgrims. But, um, but we made it to the Abbey and, it, uh, of course, chatted with the, the, the Dutch volunteers all know me because I, I did a TV show be- right before I left, a TV episode in which I interviewed one of the my parishioners who is also um, hospitalero, that's how they call them in Spanish, so a volunteer in Ronservaille uh, once every year. Once uh, so, so they were all kind of expecting me because they knew that I was heading for them, which was interesting. <laughs> anyway, it was also very original because we were woken up at 6 o'clock in the morning by one of the Dutch hospitaleros playing the guitar and singing all these cheesy 70s songs. It was so much fun. Um, and then I walked with um, uh, Jean-Paul for, for a week, every day. And uh, it was great company. Uh, it's always nice to have someone who can help you pace. Uh, and, and since He's a, a, a bit older than I am. I mean, he was retired, so perhaps 66 or something like that. Uh, but still very um, very fit. Um, but he, he always told me to slow down, to not go too fast. And I um, I needed that advice because of the 40 kilometer um, uh, day that I had done with Derek. I had injured my Achilles heel, my right Achilles heel, and it was bothering me. For a week after that, and yeah, I know from experience, having had the uh, uh, an Achilles heel uh, injury uh, I think it was two years ago, when I was training for a marathon I, I couldn't train for five six weeks, and so I was getting all these flashes of having to give up and you know having to go home because I'd forced myself but fortunately, uh, I'd taken some medication with me some uh, Diclofenac. I'm not sure if that's the right pron- pronunciation in English. <coughs> Excuse me. So I'm still recovering from a bit of a cold that a lady from New York gave me graciously. I met her a couple of days ago. <coughs> we shook hands and she coughed all night long and I I, I think she, she gave it to me. I don't have it as bad as she has, but I'm still, you know, every once in a while coughing. Um, so the, uh, uh, the the medication helped to combat inflammation of the, uh, of, of the, the muscle. And since I was walking with Jean Paul, it, it allowed us to go a bit slower than the rest of the pilgrims. And it's still something I need to continue to learn. I still have a tendency to, to want to do too much, to be too competitive. It's also partially because of this scarcity of, of places to stay. So I know that where the town where I'm heading, uh, there are three albergs, one is very small, just 12 beds I think. There is one of, one municipal one, where most of the pilgrims will, will first go, has 34 beds. And then there is a private one, private owned, privately owned one, which has 64 beds I think. So, in theory, it should be enough, and I'm early enough, but you never know. And so, uh, I don't know, I think that it's still this, mm, perhaps, lack of trust that I want to leave early and, you know, go faster than everyone else, and it's probably something I, at least I hope I can let that go and be even more trusting, which was also... The biggest lesson that I've learned so far, people have been asking me, so what are your great insights? Um, <laughs> I always have to disappoint them. This is the first part, the first half of the journey. and um, I think most people that have walked the Camino will tell you the first part isn't that spiritual yet. It's, it's the physical Camino. You're still in pain. You have blisters. You have all sorts of struggles you're getting into the rhythm, um and you're happy when you have arrived and then people go to sleep and give up you know when <laughs> Camino you too um, the uh I think that by the way, it was one of the Korean group of pilgrims there are a whole lot of people from South Korea that are walking the Camino also some people from Japan and uh, other countries in that area. Anyway, uh, the biggest lesson that I had to learn, um, that is of a spiritual nature, is this, you know, trusting that it will be all right. And it's not just a trust itself, but it's not letting it bother you, the worries about where you're going to sleep or what you're going to do the next day. And I learned that lesson, strangely enough, when uh, I had to say goodbye to Jean-Paul, because he wasn't going to walk the entire Camino. Uh, a couple of days ago, we were in. Where did we go? It was the after pump, Pamplona, one of these bigger towns. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Or was it in. Oh, no, no, no I know. It was Logroño, Logroño which is also a, a city. He wanted to go to Logroño and then head back home by bus. Um, so, again, it was another farewell. Uh, more expected. But in a way, also, it's kind of like, okay, and what now? And I would realized uh, gradually that b- besides the positive aspect of walking together with someone who is so knowledgeable about nature and you know, a spiritual guy, and we could pray together and share together, there's also a considerable downside. Specifically for me, and this is not totally not Jean Paul's uh, issue, but my issue, if you've listen to my podcasts before, you know that I'm a bit of an introverted person, despite the appearance that I'm very extroverted because I'm doing so much in media. But it means that if I, if I uh, engage in social behavior and I talk with other and I share, I also need time to recharge my batteries. I need time to recover and to kind of be alone with my thoughts. And if, if I don't have that alone time enough, I get exhausted. And that's what happened. I think uh, Jean-Paul was very much kind of enjoying the company and expecting that we would do everything together, eating, you know, visiting the town. And uh, so he would be basically telling me, so tomorrow, 6.30, we'll be in the in the, uh, the main room of the of the alberg, we'll, we'll have lunch. and then, And then when we arrived, It'd be, uh, okay, so let's uh, let's meet in one hour from now. We're going to visit the town. And then we'll go to math, and then we'll eat, and then we'll go, <laughs> we'll, we'll sleep. So, <clears throat> it was all very, very well-intentioned, but I started to get exhausted, and I, I was longing for some time off, to, to, alone, and I, I realized that I, I just couldn't get myself to telling him that, that I needed some, you know, some time for myself. There was just one afternoon where I, I was so grumpy and I was so like, oh, please leave me alone, you know? No, I don't want to, yes, this is a wonderful town, but I don't want to visit it right now. I just want to be in, you know, on my bed and edit my videos and, you know, just <laughs> read or something like that. And uh, so he, he was, again, very respectful, very considerate, but there was still, I think, in my mind, this expectation that I had to do everything together with him. So anyway, when, when he left uh, and went back to, to France, I felt this, this I realized that, that now I am, I have the opportunity to make the Camino mine. I have been, in a way, partially walking his Camino. Uh, there's this kind of, this, this mental thing of, I think it's still the, the remnants of the people pleaser in me. That I wanted to uh, accommodate him as much as I could Including in, in the, the stuff that we talked about. Whereas, of course, I... Well, there are so many other things that I wanted to think about and pray about. and Well, you kind of put that on hold. Um, because, you, well, you, you don't share that part of your world with the other person. And now, uh, I f- felt like finally I can give that some room. And uh, I had a very strange psychological reaction and that is that day i walked 40 kilometers Uh, so again i did what i i told myself i wouldn't do anymore and that is to walk these crazy distances arrive very late in the town uh, with the huge risk of not finding a place to stay but somehow i just felt the necessity to um to walk away from that last week, and to walk towards the Camino that would be my Camino. It's very hard to explain. It was a very hot day, a bit similar to today. It was even warmer than today. Um, I didn't have enough water with me, uh, and uh, the last few hours of that trip were grueling. But then the biggest lesson still had to be learned. I arrived in this town, Nájera. Nachera is a it's one of those places where everybody stops. Um, I already knew that there weren't that many albergs. But there was a big municipal one and uh, a couple of private ones and, and just in case there were also a few hotels. But I arrived there at 6 o'clock in the evening. I see all these pilgrims sitting outside having a beer and relaxed and you know they've all showered and they're all ready to go to bed and. And I'm walking in this town and I'm tired and super thirsty, I mean, completely dehydrated. And I walk to the municipal alberg and it's full. And I inquire about other albergs and there's this guy that tells me "No, they're all full. I say, what do you mean all full? It's like there is no more space here in this town. I'm like, what about the hotel? Well, you can ask, he says, and he points me to a hotel. I go, and the guy says, well, you know, it's 65 uh, euros a night here. but We're all booked, you know? We don't have space. And so I'm in this town. The next village is more than seven kilometers away from me with one alberg, limited amount of beds. So I'm like, I can't, I can't walk anymore. I'm so tired. And it's already getting dark. What am I going to do? I, I, I was literally seeing images of, of sitting on a bench all night in a park, just waiting for the sun to rise and not sleeping at all. And I, so I was super worried. I was also angry with myself. Well, why didn't I think about that? Why did I do this? You know, how stupid can you be? And then all of a sudden I hear my voice, uh, my, my name. Uh, there's a voice of, of an Italian pilgrim. I turn around and there are these two guys, these older guys, and they've been walking the Camino together. They're from uh, the south of Italy, and I probably have bumped into them, I don't know, a week ago or something. So they recognize me because I've been celebrating Mass, and so they knew I was I was a priest. I I didn't remember them, but anyway, they're like Father, Father, uh, are you lost? And do you have you just arrived? And do you need any help? I was like, yeah man, everything is full, I don't know what to do, I'm desperate. And they're like, oh, you know, come with us, come with us, we go to mass. And I I didn't have the guts to tell them that I had gone to mass that morning in, in Lograno with uh with Jean Paul. Uh and so I'd already uh we we had already been to Mass. But anyway, and then he's like, yeah, we're gonna ask the priest, the priest at the Mass, he will help you, you know. And so I followed them. And they keep telling me, and this was the kind of the touching thing, like, don't worry, it's all going to be all right. It's all be, we're going to find a solution. And I have to tell you, that was such a comforting thing. Even though I, I, you know, intellectually I totally doubted it. I didn't think it was possible to find a solution. But it was nice to hear, literally hear someone say, don't worry, don't be afraid. You know, we're going to solve this. And, and all of a sudden you feel carried again. And even if things would go completely haywire and there wouldn't be a solution, at least I had two friends that would carry that cross with me. And I, I was, I'm still choked up when I think about that, how much that hit me, how, how incredibly precious that is. Someone who tells me your problem is now also my problem. That is amazing, it's really amazing. So anyway, they take me to this clarist uh, convent. It's still in the city, in the city center. Um, and before mass, we, we, we first, you know, try to speak to one of the sisters, and they don't have a solution. And, and one of the sisters is, oh, I'm going to talk to Mother Superior. And then Mother Superior arrives, and she's like, hey, I go to, is is the father? Does he, does he want to can celebrate? And it's like, no, 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 I'm good. <laughs> Again, I didn't dare to say I've already had mass, <laughs> so. And then the sister says, uh, yeah, 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 afterwards we talk. She speaks Spanish. The Italians speak Italian. I speak a bit of Italian, not much Spanish. So anyway, Mass. Sisters, really you Spanish sisters, they they sing loud. And they answer every prayer with a very loud, resounding Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Um, But anyway. Right before Mass starts, and the priest arrives, the Mother Superior opens. And these are basically um, nuns that don't leave the monasteries. They're behind fences normally. But the Mother Superior enters the part where we are sitting, comes to to see me, and she says, uh, After Mass, no, talk to priest, talk to me! Talk to me! And uh, so I'm like, why doesn't she want me to talk with the priest? And then the Italian pilgrim turns towards me, She, she's found a solution, She found a solution. And I'm like, no, I don't think that's what she means, I think she doesn't want this to bother the priest. No, 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 he says, I trust me, I know sisters, I know sisters, she has a solution, I can see it in her eyes. <laughs> so I try to survive mass, literally, because my feet are so killing me. And every time you got to stand up again and, you know, during the Eucharist prayer, Eucharistic prayer, I was like, oh, please, God, I want to kneel, but you couldn't kneel in that part of the church. Uh, and so I, I was just oh, completely exhausted. And afterwards, M- M- Mother Superior, she is like, okay, I have solution. The Italian guy has told you. <laughs> uh, here's our parlor. And she shows me this, this big square room. Um where uh, normally visitors to the, uh, to the sisters can sit. And there is a fence, uh, like like in a prison, you know? And then behind that, you have a corridor where the sisters can come talk with the visitors. Bonjour. Bon camino. <laughs> um, the, uh, uh, and the room is freezing cold, because it's uh, you know, a, a, an old convent and thick walls. So even though outside it was actually very pleasant, inside it was ooh, I think like five degrees Celsius or something like that, like really freezing. And then she's like, we we have sofa. You can you can sleep on sofa. It's uh, good. Um sisters are going to bring you blankets, and so like the one sister after another arrive with blankets, and then there's one who asks me if I want to eat a boccadillo, you know, a, a piece of bread. And they're all like, they're like five or six sisters there talking about. How are they going to solve this problem? And, and again, it's like, oh my gosh, I did never expect this to happen. And uh, the Italians are talking to Mother Superior, Mother Superior is telling me all sorts of stuff in Spanish that I don't understand. And uh, at one point she, she says something I could understand in Spanish. She says, you know, we just heard gospel. This is gospel. We cannot leave, uh, you know, poor priest in street. We have to give bed. And so, <laughs> it was really amazing. She was like, thank you for helping us live the gospel. Um, and then she's like, okay, um, in return, you know, no pay. is gratis. But, please pray to St. James for me and for my sisters. <laughs> I like, go, oh, well, yeah, definitely I'll do that. Um, and so, I slept that night under very thick old blankets Um, and I I slept like a baby, I felt so carried and it's been such an amazing experience and that was for me uh, the moment that it clicked. I heard these stories about how the Camino teaches you to let go and to trust and uh, how you will experience providence and some pilgrims will say the Camino provides, well it did and and uh that was a a great moment where I felt uh how much if people truly live the gospel how what a great gift that is if you are the recipient of that you know you, you always tend to put yourself in the in the when you hear the gospel in the place of the person who needs to give help, like the story of the Samaritan, you know. As often oftentimes, even when I preach about it, turn that into a moral story. We too, we should take care of the poor and bring them and carry them and whatnot. But now I was the guy, you know, in the gutter and desperate. And now other people were carrying me and taking me to a place to stay and, 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 and getting me food and everything. I tell you, it's, it's, uh, that was a moment of grace, of great anxiety, but also of grace. <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. I should probably <clears throat> should probably drink something cuz I've been talking for about an hour now. It's also a good moment to stop I think this uh, this episode. But anyway, so if you ask me <clears throat> biggest lesson so far is 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 not really a lesson because it's something I know but it's having experienced it that changes everything. And it it has s- intensified my feeling of gratitude. This morning I I was walking, and the sun was rising over the hills. And I was like, "Oh, thank you, God! I feel so happy—not—not not superficial happiness, but I feel happy because I—I I feel like I'm with you. I'm walking this, and I—you are taking care of me. You're guiding me, uh, and there's nothing I can do to mess it up, even even if I make bad decisions." And who doesn't every once in a while walk too far or be too reckless or whatever not prepare enough, there's someone watching over me and that is the one to who I've given my life. And that's a good thing to know that actually sometimes you can experience that he takes care of you. Never by miracle, at least not in my life, but through other people that are also followers of that same Jesus that I that I follow in my life. So, amazing, really amazing. I've now arrived in Hornios del Camino. That's what it's called. I'm, I'm trying to do the, the real Spanish accent. <laughs> I'm probably not at all believable, but anyway. I love the, the, uh, the Madrid pronunciation of Spanish. It's got this certain nobility, you know. Uh, after every phrase you want to say, olé. <laughs> But this is a good uh, place, Um, I've been walking for about, uh, what time is it now, 10, 15, for four, a little more than four hours, which means um, if I walk about between four and five kilometers per hour, uh, 30 kilometers, it means I still have like two or three hours ahead of me. But it's a nice day and it was nice talking to you guys. I hope you enjoyed this. Continue to follow me on, on Facebook and on YouTube. Uh, Twitter is a kind of a derivative of, of what I post on Facebook, but if, if Twitter is your thing and Facebook not, then by all means follow me on Facebook, on uh, uh, Twitter.com slash Father It's also YouTube.com slash Father Roderick. And uh, I enjoyed this. This this is a, another proof that podcasting. It's not necessarily dis- dis- distracting me from the experience, but it's helping me reflect. So thank you for, uh, for giving me that opportunity. and uh, I'm sure we'll speak soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting my work over at Tridio. Thank you so much if you're a patron, a Patreon, a no, patron on patreon.com. So go to patreon.com/father Audre, and you know, with a small monthly donation, you can help me to do what I do. And uh, your your help, your also your the support that you express by that is is highly appreciated. Oh, I see a I see a cafe, which means they have cafe con leche, which is right exactly what I need right now. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening. God bless.